Well, good morning to you. I'm Rob Jacobson, if we haven't met yet, and I'm so glad that you're here today. We go to God's Word in Hebrews chapter 12. I'll be starting in verse 2, if you would like to follow along. I'm reading in our New Kids N-I-R-S-V, New New International Reader's Version, um, in case you were interested. But, Word of God says, Let us keep looking to Jesus. He's the one who started this journey of faith, and he's the one who finishes the journey of faith. He paid no attention to the shame of the cross. He suffered there because of the joy he was looking forward to. He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He made it through the attacks by sinners. So think about him. Then you won't get tired. Then you won't lose hope. You struggle against sin, but you have not yet fought to the point of spilling your blood. Have you completely forgotten this word of hope? It speaks to us as a father to his children. It says, Proverbs 3, My son, do not think of the Lord's training, or, My son, think of the Lord's training as important. Do not lose hope when he corrects you. The Lord trains the one he loves, and he corrects, and everyone he corrects, he accepts as his children. Put up with hard times. Endure hardship as discipline. God uses the difficulties as discipline to train you. He is treating you as his children. What children are not trained by their parents? God trains all his children. But what if he doesn't train you? Then you're not truly his children. You're not God's true sons and daughters at all. Besides, we all had human fathers who instructed us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we be trained by the Father of spirits and live? Our parents trained us for a little while. They did what they thought was best. But God trains us for our good. He does so that we may share in his holiness. No training seems pleasant at the time. In fact, it seems painful. But later, it produces a harvest of godliness and peace. It does this for those who have been trained by it. So don't sit around on your hands. No more dragging your feet. Clear the path. Make it straight and level so that those who have trouble walking won't trip and fall, so that no one will step in a hole and sprain an ankle. Instead, they will be healed and strong. This is God's word, and it's good for us to have eyes to see it and ears to hear it. So now, to begin... We're going to start a little different. It's an intergenerational Sunday. So uh, to begin, I'd like everyone to take out a piece of paper. You can use your worship folder. Uh, I saw, thanks, Steve, I saw some uh, younger people filling in the O's and the A's already, but that's all right. There's still room for you to take your writing utensil and write your first and last name. Now, if you don't have a writing utensil or don't have a pencil or you're just young enough and like, I've never done this before, Help a brother out or a sister out next to you. Like, hand them a piece of paper. Go ahead. I'll I'll wait. Hopefully, for most of you, this is pretty easy. You've probably done this before. Just give me a smile when when you've written your first and last name. And you can think it's weird. I won't make you share. Everybody good? All right. Now, take that same writing utensil, 
place it in your non-dominant hand, and write your first and last name. And I'll apologize now for people listening online or later. Uh, you know, we're writing, so you're just hearing murmurs or silence. But Pass it if someone needs to borrow that pen. All right, so now I really appreciate your participation. What was it like writing this the second time? Hard. What else? Ugly, messy, intentional, like you really had to think about it, the spelling, or, no, I'm just kidding. I I know Don, so, any other words that would describe how the second one was different than the first one? Awkward, awkward, same time. Couldn't see what I was writing. I know, it... Mm-hmm. Any others? Slower. Was anybody a little frustrated? No? Yes? You're what? It was the pen's fault. <laughs> oh, we'll get there, sister. We will get there. Ha <laughs> ha. Well, uh, so a few weeks ago, uh, my friend Leanne, you, you might know Leanne, she is our prayer team leader, and she was in Kenya for uh, almost three months this summer. Uh, when we were at her slide-sharing show a few weeks ago, she said something that's really stuck with me. She served with Chariots of Hope uh, Orphanage in Kenya, and she talked about the differences between living in America and living in Kenya. And one of the things that she said was, in, in Kenya... Um, Nobody expects good things to happen to them. Like these workers were shocked that they took them to this very elaborate dinner at a very elaborate restaurant, which really was pretty modest. But then she said, but in America, we feel entitled to pleasure. That really stuck with me. We, we expect reward And it's not even to say that it's bad. It's just this observation that has stuck with me. And so maybe to begin today, can we admit that hardship and pain are hard? That we don't like them? That we'd rather avoid them? And yet, I believe that God knows that difficulties are sometimes exactly what we need. And so we've been in this series called Uncommon. We've been looking at ways to actually live an uncommon life and what it takes to live this uncommon life. And today we look at this idea of uncommon endurance, embracing and enduring the difficulties of life and what happens when we do that. And that that might be difficult to hear because you might be in a place that you don't want to talk about or think about that's really hard. It might be difficult to hear because uh, part of difficulties, at least from what we read in Hebrews, is discipline. And maybe you didn't have good experiences with discipline growing up. And part of why it might be hard to hear is that 
We live in a culture obsessed with eliminating struggle. I read that this week in a book, and, or last week, and it just, right on the heels of what Leanne said, this has been pounding in my mind. We are a culture obsessed with eliminating struggle. We have many, many parents who want to eliminate struggle for their children. We've got a whole generation of children who are growing up with parents who want to take away that, that, that struggle, and now those children have become adults, and they're realizing this is a huge handicap for their life. Now, when I talk about struggle, hardship, and pain, I'm not talking about allowing abuse or being a bully. I'm talking about struggle as in general pain, difficulty, or hardship. See, because those things are hard, I know that's really great vocab, but because they're hard, we just want to dismiss them. We either want to pretend that they're not really bad, which just makes them feel less important, but actually, if we're in them, they sometimes make us feel less important too, like getting dismissed by someone. Or sometimes we dismiss them by just giving up. And I heard a story this week uh, by someone who said, well, sometimes we dismiss them by uh, using the cheat codes. You know, like if you're playing a video game like Jordan and his son were, he gave me permission to share the story. Like Marvel Comics, right? They got the great characters, excellent game. And see, if you use the cheat codes, you can unlock all the characters. Yep, I'm getting this now. And so Logan, love him, he's like, Dad, please, let's put the cheat codes in. He's like, no, we shouldn't do that. No, come on, we've got to put the cheat Then we can have all the characters. He's like, nope, it's going to take the fun away from the game. Come on, Dad, please. Finally wore this guy down. I've been there. And perhaps to you, as a dad, this is a low-cost lesson. He said, okay. And he put the cheat codes in. And it was great for a while. I mean, playing those, uh, all the characters, I mean, it helped get through the levels a lot faster. Except then when you conquer a level and you unlock a character, it's like, oh. And again, oh. Dad, dad, it's not as much fun. It's, you're right, it's, it's not as much fun. Now, sometimes our difficulties can be compared to cheat codes on a video game, but most of the time, they can't. So at the opposite end of dwelling on our difficulties, or on dismissing our difficulties, is dwelling on them, just being stuck in them. It's common for people to want to dwell in their difficulties. And if you've experienced chronic pain, you know that sometimes this is nearly unavoidable. It's always present. Except so often, when we dwell in our difficulties, we slide into blaming. Like, it's this, it's that person, it's all. And, and blame like, makes us feel better for a while, but it does absolutely nothing to improve or change our situation or ourselves. It, and, and I've been, I blame, but it really doesn't. So rather than dismiss our difficulties or dwell on our difficulties, what the writer says is we should embrace our difficulties, endure them, because something powerful happens. 
Hebrews 12 says, endure hardship as discipline. That's what Hebrews 12, 7 says, and it comes from Proverbs 3. My child, don't reject the Lord's discipline and don't be upset when he corrects you. See, it's uncommon to actually embrace it. And, and we should because difficulties can be God's discipline. Now, why I think this is hard for us is what we think about discipline. So everybody can play again. Uh, we don't have to write anything this time. Uh, how would you define discipline? Young, old, whatever, whoever. Just shut something out. How do you define discipline? especially people who feel like they're being disciplined in their life presently. Maybe not like this moment, but correcting, punishing, painful, restrict, oh, restricted, like three syllables, but man, sounds like a teenager comment. I mean, I love my teenagers, all teenagers. (laughs) You're being so restrictive. Anything else? Privileges taken away. Yeah, loss. Focus. Ooh. First one that isn't inherently harsh or negative. Did you catch that? See, I think all of us have a view of discipline as negative. It's that stuff that happens to us when we do something wrong. Or it's that stuff we have to do even though we don't want to do it. And yet, the word disciple actually means one who hears and follows, or one who follows by hearing. Uh, I'm, I'm not saying that right. One who learns by following. And the word discipline, we, we talked about in the series before this one uh, called Choices, we said choosing discipline is like choosing what I want most over what I want in the moment. And I would say, yes, that's still an accurate definition, choosing what I want most over what I want in the moment, but that's when we can control it. But a general definition of discipline is this idea of training for growth. So the word discipline actually shows up four times in this little chapter of Hebrews 12. The, in the version I read, it, it came up as training to try and give us a positive definition of it. But it only shows up two other times in the entire New Testament, four of them in this chapter, but two other times. One is in Ephesians 6, 4, where a father is training his children, and one in 2 Timothy 3 that talks about God's word being training for righteousness. So if you combine that idea from the scripture with the cultural context of Judaism and the Greeks and the Romans who had very present fathers and what the cultural norm was of that time was that the fathers had the ultimate responsibility in training and shaping their children spiritually, morally, and socially. So if you take this idea of how the New Testament describes this and how the culture describes this, what you get is this idea of a father training for growth. Now, I know that's not everybody's experience, but it's what the writer was trying to connect to at the time. It would make sense to the people that were listening for the first time. 
And I think it can still make sense for us. Training does involve correction, but it also involves instruction. Its goal has always been to develop character or wisdom, to do the right thing at the right time because this is something that you've developed. And what the writer is saying is even difficulties can be seen as training, especially if we see God in them. And it's connected to the second reason why I think we should embrace and endure difficulties and why I think the text says it is because it shows God's affection. Hebrews 12, 7 continues, Endure hardship as discipline. God uses discipline, uses difficulties as discipline to train you. He is treating you as his children. And to, for the writer to call God father is not to dismiss or disregard a mother's role but rather to display, again, the culture of the time, an engaged authority figure who acts compassionately, graciously, and lovingly to their children. An engaged authority figure who acts compassionately, graciously, and lovingly to their children. Now, Let's just be honest. There's a lot of people in the world who don't grow up with a dad. Imagine if you had an engaged authority figure acting compassionately, graciously, and lovingly towards you. Could be a mom. Could be a coach or a teacher. Maybe even a good boss. What is our response to their instruction, even correction. Have you ever had someone who's been an engaged authority figure who's wanted to train you for growth? The first thing I think of is a coach that actually took interest in who I was by asking me about my life beyond the sport. But then someone who displayed a knowledge of that sport and when I asked questions was immediately engaged in giving me what he was giving everyone else and then a little bit more. It motivated me to want to go forward. It motivated me to want to grow. Even if you've had a difficult parenting or family experience, God really can be an engaged authority figure in your life. And over and over in Scripture, if we really read it, he acts lovingly, graciously, and compassionately to his kids. I think we can agree with the positive aspects of training for growth or discipline if we understand what's happening. When I often uh, talk to young people who are being disciplined, they're like, well, I, I did this, and so I see where my parents are coming from. I just don't like it. But, you know, I'll probably like it in the future, or at least that's what my parents tell me. But what about when it's experiencing difficulty and there's no obvious reason? When we suffer and it doesn't make sense, those are difficulties that really we don't want to put in the category of discipline. That sounds like God is being capricious or harsh or just 
vindictive. And, and as humans, we, I think it goes all the way back to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We want to know. We want it to make sense. And sometimes we're just not given that. But what I love about the Bible is it doesn't hide the hardship. That I would try to make that, like, on, a, you know, on those first dates, if you're dating someone, you, you try to put the best stuff forward. Like, if I was writing the Bible, I would put the best stuff up there. And the Bible just continues to add the hardships. It, pu- it puts the difficulties in there. It doesn't dismiss them. It just offers that pain and problems are part of the human experience. It's part of what it means to live in a world that's fallen. And to be human is to face hardship. Much of the world outside of America readily agrees with that. People who have to walk three miles one way to get semi-clean water readily agree that to be human is to face hardship. It's not to make us feel guilty about where we live. It's just the reality that we have access to so many things that we sometimes forget that to be human is to face hardship. Now, sometimes that pain or that evil or that difficulty or that suffering is caused by natural forces. Sometimes it's caused by our own choices or other people. And sometimes it's caused by the evil one. The Satan that is out to destroy, to seek and kill and destroy. And so only a foolish person would expect to fully understand suffering, and I think only a wicked person would pretend to enjoy it. But God is so much more than we can understand. Isaiah says that God, God's ways are not our ways, and his thoughts are not our thoughts. And anyone who has suffered and continued to hold on to their faith has learned that God is bigger than any hardship they will go through. And Jesus is our perfect example of being human and facing hardship. Hebrews says that he endured the cross. That that in Christ, if he's really the one who starts and completes the faith, he actually teaches us less about how powerful God is or how much he knows, he knows everything, or his ever-presentness. And he teaches us so much more about his understanding of what it means to be human. To understand and hear the people that are oppressed and overlooked. To help the wounded and to even be hurt by those who oppress. That's a God who gets it. A God who endured the cross. Jesus understands one of the most painful parts of being human and suffering and not knowing why is wondering if God has forgotten you. He said on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is someone who understands but it's also a God who reveals who he is and how he loves. Discipline really does show that we are God's kids. And lastly, 
I think the writer says we should embrace and endure difficulties because discipline reveals God's benefits. There's good things that happen when we experience hard things. Just as a good parent does what they perceive to be good, even though the child perceives it to be painful or bad, and they're later grateful, they earn our respect, the text says. How much more is God a wiser and kinder parent? And he disciplines his children to bring about a holiness, a set-apartness, a dedication, and a godliness. God uses difficulties to build us and develop us into the people that he already sees us to be. I think it was C.S. Lewis who said, the role of suffering is soul-making. It's the shaping of a believer in Jesus through the hammer and chisel of adversity. Struggle and difficulty provide a catalyst for growth and spiritual maturity that no other force can supply. That's why I think the Apostle Peter said we should be truly glad and there's even joy ahead even though we have to suffer through all kinds of trials. These sufferings and trials will show that your faith is genuine like a fire tests and purifies gold. But your faith is so much more important than gold. First Peter 1, 6-8. Or uh, the Apostle James in chapter 1 says, Brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, endurance has a chance to grow. This is how God has also made the world. So Johnny Erickson Tata is a well-known speaker, advocate, and author of more than 50 books. She was paralyzed this summer. It has been 50 years. It's a 50-year anniversary of when she was paralyzed in a diving accident at 17. She's wheelchair-bound, and she doesn't have the use of her hands. She's also an artist and learned to paint with her mouth. But she says she's someone who gets it. She said, God uses difficulty as his chisel for sculpting our lives. Weakness deepens our dependence on Christ. The weaker we feel, the harder we trust, and the harder we trust, the stronger we grow in Jesus. And God is way more interested in conforming you and I to the likeness of his son than he is about leaving us in our comfort zone. Nothing powerful or transformative happens in our comfort zone. And I've read this and prayed over this over and over and over. And what I see is that God is really, he cares so much about where we are. He is the good shepherd who tends his sheep that have gone astray or who haven't even come back yet. He goes and seeks them out. But it's less about at least here, it's less about whether it's a result of our choices and it's more discipline or it's suffering at the hands of others or it's persecution or it's pain. God is less interested in that and more interested in how we see it. It's not to allow oppression. 
He is a God who understands. Where do you put suffering? Hardship and pain. Is it a motivator for you to never experience that again? Is it something that you lock away in a safe that no one will touch? Is it something you wear as a tattoo, like a prisoner? Or is it a catalyst for transformation? Is it something that you see, even if it hurts, this is God who loves me, who will use it for his good and his purposes because we have a God of purpose, a God who has intention and a God who has a goal. After a life of suffering, Joseph was able to say to his brothers in Genesis 50, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many souls. God doesn't run around chasing after us, wondering if things are going to, like wondering what happened or how we can fix it. He knows that everything can fit into a divine pattern for good. I mean, consider Joseph. If Joseph had not been sold to those caravan traders, this is Genesis 37 to like 50. So if you don't know the story, I'm going to skip over a few things, but most of it's here. If Joseph had not been sold to the caravan traders, then he never would have been purchased as a slave to Potiphar. And if he would have never been purchased as a slave to Potiphar, he would have not have gained the skills of running a household and managing an Egyptian business. And if Potiphar's wife had not accused him of misconduct, he would have never ended up in a jail in Egypt. And if he would have never ended up in a jail in Egypt, he would have never met employees of the Pharaoh. And if he had never met employees of the Pharaoh, then he would have not been ever recommended to Pharaoh. And if he had not been recommended to Pharaoh, he could not have been Pharaoh's second in command. And if he had not been Pharaoh's second in command, then he could not have prepared for the worldwide famine. And if he had not prepared for that famine, many, many people would have died. Not just God's people, but all people, people who didn't know him and thus did not have eternal life. This God is a God who is not interested in making us comfortable. This is a God who redeems the whole world and invites us, regardless of how painful it is, to be a part of it. That's a God I want to get on board with. It's a God who stands with us, even when we suffer. It's a God who carries us, especially when we suffer. It's a God who is more easily listened to by people who might not believe in him. They're listening to someone who's suffering. The cross does not show us that our suffering will soon end, or even that it will have meaning. But the cross shows us that it offers hope that it might someday be redeemed. If you are someone who believes and follows Jesus, this is our good news. That God uses all things for his redemption, and we get to be a part of it. 
If you've never said yes to Jesus, I want you to consider that invitation. That this is a God who hasn't just risen from the dead, but a God who brings all things back into right. That you can have eternal life, but you can also have redemption from life. And just as the Bible says that God was with Joseph, that God was there each time he suffered, he knew he wasn't alone. And we aren't alone either. God gives us his Holy Spirit, the spirit that raised Christ from the dead when we say yes to him. And God gives us his body, the group of believers that surrounds us, that encourages us, that supports us, that lifts us up, that as Hebrews says at the end, that we should strengthen our hands, that we should make our knees strong, that we should clear a path and we should help others so that we don't just get lifted up so we can start running again. We should look around and see the people next to us that have fallen down. I think the implication for us as I've been praying about this is that if you have a prayer request that you want very few people to see, then you go ahead and check that confidential box and me and the prayer team will be the only ones who see it. But if you don't check that, then we will find a way to get more and more people the access to your prayers. Again, if you check the confidential, no, we won't. But if you don't, We want to have people that know and can pray that we are not alone when we suffer because that is something that everyone thinks of. And I'd love to talk to you more because there's about 15 more stories from each person in my family who's lived it. But rather than that, I'm going to have Jordan come up and share part of his story and his song when he was experiencing difficulty. Thank you, Rob. This has been a a challenging year for our family, Um, but it's been an amazing year to see God coming right up alongside us and walking with us every step of the way. Um, I guess I, I feel more like I'm seeing God in a new way where before I would look at it like he was shining this light on our path from above and now I'm seeing him walking right beside us lighting that path laughing when we laugh and crying with us when we cry he's a God of compassion and love he's a good father and when I was faced with some health difficulties earlier this year and diagnoses were starting to come in and didn't really know what the future was going to look like I decided I was just going to go before him and worship and praise. Thank him. Because I already knew he had seen this through. I already knew he was on the other side. He had seen the recover. He was just waiting. And I was going to thank him and praise him. And this song is called, You've Already Seen This Through. Because I know that you've already seen this through. Oh, my faith. I rest in you The gravity of this reality It brings me down It brings me down Hope is fading fast and everything's not right No, this is not the way Things were supposed to be In the wilderness, I will keep my faith And 
Cause I know that the best 